As a listener to Intelligent Medicine, you know that fish oil provides the vital omega-3s, EPA, and DHA that support your cardiovascular, brain, nerve, vision, immune system, joint, and skin health, as well as your inflammatory balance. My preferred fish oil brand is Vital Nutrients, offering a line of 11 ultra-pure omega-3 solutions, including soft gels, liquid, and enteric-coated options in a variety of potencies. Vital Nutrients even offers a high-performance and nutrient-dense vegan omega supplement option. Vital Nutrients' line of ultra-pure omega-3 solutions are held to the most rigorous quality standards in the industry, ensuring maximum freshness, purity, and potency. I use Vital Nutrients myself and recommend it to my patients. For more information and to order, call 888-328-9992. That's 888-328-9992. Or go to vitalnutrients.co. That's vitalnutrients.co for the Vital Nutrients line of Ultra Pure Omega-3 Solutions. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm your host, Layla Mutin. Thank you for downloading these podcasts, and thank you for your questions. Questions can be emailed to questions at drhoffman.net. That is questions at drhoffman.net. And if you don't already subscribe to the newsletter, which is free, comes out once a week, into your inbox, typically around Wednesday, sometimes Thursday, but typically Wednesdays, go to drhoffman.com and click on subscribe. We do not sell your email. You will not be spammed by us. Absolutely not. I want to talk to you about a re- recent question I had, which I wrote about in the newsletter. And by the way, all the newsletters, uh, all the articles that are posted in the newsletter eventually find their way to the website, drhoffman.com. Just click on read. And if you want to listen to the podcast, as you already know, click on listen. Uh, There's a whole index of podcast topics. There's a whole index of uh, newsletter articles. You will find it there at drhoffman.com. The recent question that I got and that I wrote about, and then I want to talk to you about a study, an intervention that was done, but let me preface it with this uh, article about intermittent fasting. And the question was, does intermittent fasting involve skipping my morning coffee? And does this affect my metabolism by slowing it down? These are great questions. Uh, And the second question, especially because there has been some association with the slowing of metabolism when you do intermittent fasting all the time for a long time, and especially in those with hypothyroidism, I think it also has to do with food choices as well. But again, association is not causation. However, let me go on. So does intermittent fasting involves skipping my morning coffee, and does this affect my metabolism by slowing it down? Well, when it comes to your morning coffee, it depends. Are you drinking it black? Then you could have it. 
There's virtually no calories there at all. Are you adding milk and sugar? Then you want to skip it because by adding the milk, which is, which has sugar in it and any sugar, you're effectively taking yourself out of ketosis and going back into a blood sugar burning metabolism. During the overnight fast, you are in lipolysis ketosis. You are burning fat for energy. If you're putting milk and sugar in your coffee, you're breaking that and reverting to a blood sugar burning. So you're not, you're no longer fasting. So skip it unless you're drinking it black. But if you're adding a tablespoon of coconut oil and or pastured butter or ghee, making it bulletproof, you can have it. Oh, but wait, Layla, that's calories. Aren't I still breaking the fast? Yes and no. Here's the thing. You're in lipolysis ketosis kind of overnight. And when you get up and you have this bulletproof coffee, which includes a medium chain triglyceride or MCT, which is in your butter, your ghee, your coconut oil. Yeah, each tablespoon is maybe 100, 110, 120 calories. Yes, you're getting calories. However, these MCT fats demand to be metabolized immediately. And so it keeps your body in lipolysis ketosis. That's why you can have a bulletproof coffee because it's not switching you back into a blood sugar burning metabolism, right? From being in blood sugar, uh, it's not switching you back to a blood sugar burning metabolism because it's keeping you burning fat for energy. These medium chain triglycerides, these fats like ghee, butter, coconut oil, demand to be used first for energy. So you continue burning fat for energy from a cup of bulletproof coffee. So you're continuing that lipolysis ketosis that was happening overnight. So either having it black or bulletproof, calorie-free or with those MCT fat calories, it still effectively keeps your metabolism in fat burning mode. And continuing that beneficial metabolism from that overnight fast. However, once we eat breakfast, we're breaking the fast, right? Which is where the term breakfast comes from. Now, intermittent fasting has many benefits, including blood sugar and insulin normalization, weight regulation and maintenance, and enhancing the body's ability to repair and rejuvenate. A 15 to 16 hour fast is optimal for intermittent fasting. Now, to achieve autophagy, which is when the body is repairing, rejuvenating, doing cellular house cleaning, removing cellular debris, this is called autophagy or autophagy. Tomato, tomato. So pronounce it those ways. So while all of us should be fasting a minimum, a minimum of 12 hours every night to achieve autophagy, which is all about the repair and the house cleaning of our cells, 
the repair of DNA. Intermittent fasting, however, is not meant to be done every day of the week. The best practice of intermittent fasting may be two or three consecutive or non-consecutive days a week. But we all need to be fasting a minimum of 12 hours every night. That's not intermittent fasting. That is not eating for 12 hours. That's what we're supposed to do. Because autophagy peaks at the 12-hour mark. So for example, if you finished eating dinner by 7.30, right? Finished eating dinner by 7.30, you should not have breakfast the next morning until after 7.30 a.m. because autophagy peaks at the 12-hour mark. So there we go. Um, If we take... Going back to intermittent fasting, if we take it too far, now I'm talking about the 15 or 16 hour fast where say you finished eating dinner by 7.30 and you're not having breakfast till 11 o'clock the next day, the next morning. But if taken too far, we have seen in susceptible individuals, it may slow metabolism over time. Now, if you are somebody who is hungry for breakfast soon after rising in the morning, there's another way to practice intermittent fasting. If you're somebody who gets up in the morning and you're ravenous, you should have breakfast. But if you're somebody who gets up in the morning and you're not hungry, you know, until a couple of hours after you've gotten up, intermittent fasting will work well for you doing that in the morning, you know, kind of waiting to have your breakfast. But if you're somebody who's like ravenous in the morning, you're very hungry, a better way to practice intermittent fasting is to skip dinner. I have to say this is my favorite way of doing intermittent fasting when I do. So here's how you do that. You have breakfast as usual and have lunch maybe a little later in the day, say, you know, two, maybe three o'clock. Say you finished having your lunch by 3.30 or so, right? And then what you do is you skip your dinner, skip dinner altogether, and go to sleep at your regular bedtime. Hey, regular bedtime should be like 10, not later than 11 p.m. Because our most restorative sleep occurs between 11 p.m. and about 1 to 2 a.m. So, When you've done it this way, where lunch, a late lunch is your last meal of the day, and say you're finishing lunch by 3 or 3.30 and you're skipping your dinner, you can have breakfast the next morning, you know, any time after around 6 or 7 a.m., you've effectively completed the 15, 16-hour intermittent fast. And that would be a way to do it. That would be a very good way to do it. Now, there's another way to say intermittent fasting. It may also be called or considered time-restricted eating. What does time-restricted eating mean, or T-R-E? It means that you're eating within a discrete period of time. Say you're eating, you know, within eight hours, you know, between 9 a.m. and and 5 p.m., and you're not eating 
Before 9 a.m., you're not eating after 5. So, or not eating, or you're eating only within uh, a 9 or even a 10-hour period of time. So between 9 a.m. or 6 p.m., 7 p.m., like that. And then you're effectively fasting for the 14 hours or so, right? 14, 15 hours. So there was a study done. This is a results from a 14-week intervention where they wanted to see does time-restricted eating really aid weight loss? So they wanted to explore. This was the objective of the study. They wanted to explore the effect of time-restricted eating in comparison to consuming food over a period of more than 12 hours to determine which is more effective for fat loss, for weight reduction, and for cardiometabolic health. So the key takeaway is that the dietary intervention of time-restricted eating is more effective for weight reduction, improvement in diastolic blood pressure, that's the lower number, the 70 or 80 or 60, the diastolic blood pressure, and mood than eating during a window of more than 12 hours daily. And, and remember what I said earlier, we all need to be fasting a minimum of 12 hours every night. That is not hard to do. We need to achieve autophagy. You can't clean your house. Let me put it another way. This, this biological house cleaning, DNA repair, removal of cellular debris, you can't clean your house if you chronically have guests in your house. Right? So, even a hotel room, when the guest checks out, house cleaning comes in to clean up. They need a period of time for that house cleaning to happen. That's what we're talking about. So they did a randomized control trial of 14 weeks duration. Participants who are obese and age between 25 to 75 years old, so the average age was 43, they were recruited into a trial for weight loss treatment at a weight loss medical clinic at the University of Alabama Birmingham Hospital. So a total of 656 people were screened. 90 participants were enrolled in the trial. And to give you a breakdown of participants, 72 of the participants were female. That's 80%. 18% were, were, were male. And participants' ethnicities included Hispanic, which was 2%, non-Hispanic, 94%, which specifically Asian was 2%, black was 33%, and white was 62%, and 3% who reported unknown. Now, the inclusion criteria consisted of participants having a body mass index between 30 and 60, definitively in the obesity category, with no history of diabetes or other unstable medical conditions or an assessment of cardiometabolic risk factors. So interventions, the weight loss treatment 
with participants randomized into two groups and assigned an eating schedule of a low-calorie diet for six days per week. And the groups consisted of a group with time-restrictive eating plus calorie restriction. And that time-restricted eating was based on an eight-hour window. So they were allowed to eat between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. And a group with controlled eating schedule. So with caloric restriction. So both were on low-calorie diets, but only one was doing the time-restricted eating, which was between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. The other group was still doing a low-calorie diet, but they were allowed to eat over the course and beyond 12 hours. So the participants, they they received weight loss counseling from a dietitian at at week zero, the the second week, the sixth week, the 10th week. They used a DEXA to measure body composition every two weeks. And the fat loss was measured based on the ratio comparing fat loss to weight loss by a fat mass difference. So they were using all kinds of parameters to to measure the fat loss. They also looked at fasting blood pressure, insulin resistance, lipid levels, hemoglobin A1C, which is um, an average marker of blood sugar over three months. And additionally, the investigators, they assessed the adherence to the eating windows via surveys. You know, were they sticking to the time-restricted eating schedule between... 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., and as well as the other control group, which were eating pretty much randomly. But both groups were on a lower-calorie diet. They used food records to look at the food composition of macronutrients, of calorie intake, all of that kind of thing. And the study employed several questionnaires to assess mood, sleep, physical activity, and satisfaction with eating times. The primary outcomes were fat loss and weight loss. Now, And the secondary outcomes were based on cardiometabolic risk factors like heart rate, blood pressure, blood sugar levels, hemoglobin A1C, lipid levels like triglycerides, cholesterol. And the additional outcomes measured included satisfaction, with the seating schedule, how they were able to stick to it, sleep, mood, physical activity. So both groups had clinically significant weight loss between like 11 to 14 pounds, right? Even the weight, even the control group, which didn't practice time-restricted feeding, but they were still on a low-calorie diet, just like the time-restricted eating group, they lost a little weight too. They lost between 8 and maybe 10 pounds. They lost less weight than the time-restricted eating group, however. Remember, remember that they were both on low-calorie diets, so both will lose weight. But the time-restricted eating group, the group that were eating only between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m., they lost more weight. 
So they achieved a higher weight loss total of 2.3 pounds, 2.3 kilos, which is about five pounds, making it a more effective uh, weight loss strategy. Now, neither group showed significant effects on body fat loss. Remember, and this is my pet peeve about low calorie diets. You will lose, yes, you'll lose some fat, but unfortunately you're losing muscle. So I will bet that both groups definitely lost muscle and they didn't show significant effects on body fat loss. These were not low carb diets. These were low calorie diets. Now in a secondary analysis, the time restricted eating group was more effective than the control group for the primary outcomes of losing weight of body fat and trunk fat. That's trunk. That's that trunk fat is the abdomen. That's what we're talking about, which is the more dangerous body fat. Now the time restricted eating group had a significant reduction in diastolic blood pressure compared to the control group. And furthermore, the time-restricted eating group had a significant reduction in calorie intake with an additional 214 calories a day that were cut. When you are told that you can only eat between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m., you can't get all of your allotted calories in if you're still full from the previous meal. If you're having breakfast at 7 a.m., and lunch at noon, you you still may be full from lunch to eat your dinner and not have a whole lot of food by 2.30 in the afternoon, right? So that time-restricted eating group was eating less calories a day by 214 calories a day. And that could also be another reason that they had more weight loss than the control group. We have to keep that in mind. And lastly, the time-restricted eating group, they were more effective at decreasing mood disturbance and improving mood in the following subcategories of vigor, you know, activity, of fatigue, inertia, and depression. Both groups had similar food intake, cardiometabolic risk factors, physical activity, and sleep outcomes. So this is very important. The researchers, however, say, quote, although weight loss is a great tool to prevent the development of cardiometabolic disease, adhering to time-restricted eating in the long term to obtain clinically significant results can be extremely difficult. So this is a very, very important study. And by the way, I'm bringing this to you from the Natural Medicine Journal. This was posted December 6th from the Natural Medicine Journal called Does Time-Restricted Eating Really Aid in Weight Loss by Princess Burnett, a naturopathic physician. So, again, I invite you to email me with questions, topics of interest that you would like to hear me weigh in on on this podcast. Uh, That email is questions at drhoffman.net questions at drhoffman.net. This is Intelligent Medicine. This is Layla Mutin, RD. I see patients regularly along with Dr. Hoffman. If you require a nutrition consult with me but live out of town, 
There's no need to travel to New York City. I have telephone consultations with clients from all over the country. Please visit drhoffman.com for more information. And to set up an appointment, call 212-779-1744. That's 212-779-1744. I look forward to being a collaborator in your health care.